there is a thought out there that if you're going to master something, if you're going to master a skill, if you're going to master the violin or the drums or be a master electrician, it's going to take you up to 10,000 hours to do so. So that was put forward by Malcolm Gladwell. So if you want to be a master of something, it's going to take a long, long time. Practice, practice, practice. You have to work at it and work at it and work at it if you're really going to master something. So whether it takes 10,000 hours, 1,000 hours, 500, I don't know. It's different for every person. The point is, is that while you're practicing this, what you're doing is you're developing muscle memory. Your muscles are learning what they need to do so that when you get in the heat of the moment, your muscles just know this is what needs to happen. As you are playing the violin, you are practicing over and over and over and over again so that at some point, your muscles just know I need to do this and my fingers need to do this in order to get the sound that I want to come out of this violin. But it takes practice. EMTs and paramedics are people that I'm glad they practice over and over and over and over again to be able to save your life. Because if you're in the middle of a crisis, who knows whether it's a car accident or a fire or whatever it might be, they need to know how to save your life just like that. So they practice and practice and practice. They can't get in the middle of that situation and say, wait a second, on page 4,006, I think it said this, but I might have to go. They need to just react. They need to know it, but they also need to have their muscles ready to go. A muscle memory to go back to what they know in the middle of that crisis to be able to do what needs to be done. Muscle memory is great. But muscle memory can be a hard thing for us, too, when that muscle memory, that mental muscle memory, wants to draw us back into the old ways of doing things. It wants to drag us back down spiritually to what we came out of, not to what Christ has brought us into. And that's what Paul's going to be addressing here. These believers, we remember the Colossian church, they were in a very pagan society, so they were right there in the middle of all kinds of crossroads of different religions and different cultures, so they had all kinds of things hitting them all at the same time, just by nature of where they were. Many of these believers had come out of some form of paganism. Many of them would have had this ritualistic structure that they had known in the past. That was their past. That's what they knew. Some of them may have come out of the Eastern mysticism, that Gnosticism. So again, that had its own structure, that had its own way of doing things. Could have been Judaism and the legalistic Judaism that they were coming out of. But they all had this structure back there of this is what I have to do to earn God's favor. This is what I have to do to be able to be right with him. This is me getting to God. That's always what religion is. It's me trying to get to God. This is the structure I have to follow. But that's not them anymore. As they've accepted Christ as their Savior, they don't belong to that structure anymore. They don't live in that anymore. That's not the reality for them. They have a new life in Christ. They have a new structure that's based on Christ and his righteousness and his life, not based on what they can do on their own, not based on the structures that this world wants to place them in, even well-meaning religious structures. It's found in Christ and in Christ alone. But Paul's going to warn them they can easily slip back into that, in that old way of doing things, that old muscle memory of this is just what I do, if they're not careful. So let's go ahead and read verses 16 through 19 of Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So our first point this morning, first thing we have to remember is that we are in a judgment-free zone. Paul is going to bring us back and start this section that we're looking at this morning the same way he did with what we looked at last time. He starts with therefore. So anytime we're looking at therefore, we've got to find out what is it drawing us back to? What is it we need to remember that Paul has just said? And it draws us back to some really powerful things that we need to remember then as we go into these next few verses. So I'm going to read for us 13 through 15. Here's what Paul's drawing us back to when he says, therefore. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's powerful. That's what he's drawing us back to. That's the reality that we have to hold on to, that we don't belong to this world's structures anymore. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we are alive in Christ because we are associated with him in his baptism. We talked about baptism as being us remembering, you know, we go under the water and we come back up symbolizing that newness of life. But also that idea for them was being fully associated with something. And everything that comes along with that person or that thing, we are baptized into it. We are taking everything and adopting that for ourselves. We're fully associated with it. In this case, it's Christ. We are fully associated with Christ and all of his life and the work that he has done. We have been able to take for ourselves because he did the work on our behalf. He took all of those legalistic requirements of the law and he nailed it to the cross. He did that. He beat the legalists at their own game in fulfilling the law. He beat the rulers of this world at their own game in that death couldn't hold him. He paid that price. He took that for us. We get the benefit of that. And then we are marked permanently, forever, on the inside in that circumcision of the heart. We are his. We belong to him. We don't belong to this world's structures anymore. We are his. We can't be judged by this world and their structures and their ways of doing things anymore because that's not where we live. It's not the reality for us. Our faith or our walk is based in faith. Our salvation is based in faith. And Paul commends them in verse 5 of chapter 2 for their stable and steadfast faith. So they have that faith, but they can so easily slip back into the old ways of doing things if they're not careful, if they don't pay attention, if they aren't careful to watch what's happening and how they're thinking and how they're letting that muscle memory drag them either back into the old way of doing things or keeping them firmly planted, stable and steadfast on the foundation of Christ. So it's a warning to them. 
So what's happening? What's happening that's drawing them potentially away from Christ and back into those old things? Well, it appears through the passage that it's the legalistic Jews that have come in. Perhaps some of them are part of the church. Perhaps they're trying to sneak in. Maybe it's not so sneaky, but here they are. And they're trying to judge these young believers, this young church, in a totally different culture than where the law was given, but trying to judge them based on the Mosaic law, the tradition of the elders. So as they're bringing these things to the young believers, they're bringing an extremely strict law. If you just want to find out a little bit more about the law or refresh yourself again on it after you've read it, perhaps a long time ago, go back to Leviticus and Numbers, and you can find just extremely strict, extremely detailed laws that God had given to his people then to set them apart from the rest of the world where they were, But what it always was, was always a way to drive them back to relying totally and completely on God's grace and his mercy. Because they were never capable of following each and every one of those laws perfectly. They even in the Old Testament, in the middle of all that structure and all that law, had to fully rely on God's grace and his mercy. And faith that by doing what God told them to do, he would do what he said he would do. So they still had to go back to God. They still had to go back to his grace and his mercy. Never meant to secure their righteousness or their salvation. Always meant to drive them to him. But what's happening here, as it often happened in the Old Testament and throughout the rest of the New Testament, is this law is being used as a way to exclude people, to judge people. What it should have been was a way to demonstrate your devotion to God. I'm fully devoted to him. I want to live my life according to his ways and not my ways or the ways of this world. But what they're doing is they're using this as a way to judge people, judging these young believers. You need to follow the strict food laws that were given in the Mosaic law. So you can eat this, but not this. You can drink that, but not that. Very strict laws around the clean things and the unclean things. And you can go on and read the full details. There's a lot of details. What's a clean animal? What's not a clean animal? What does it look like to eat that clean animal? If you touch an unclean animal, what does that look like? You do have to go through all of this purification. This often it meant time outside of the camp. Excluded from the rest of the believers, the rest of the camp, the rest of the community, because you touched something that was unclean extremely strict, extremely ritualistic, and a chance to judge people, to exclude people. So there was your grounds for judgment. You weren't fully devoted to God if you weren't following these things. That was sneaking into this Colossian church. Paul's warning them, don't let people judge you based on these things. You don't live there anymore. This structure doesn't have a hold on you anymore. You don't live there but they were trying to be judged on the things that they ate or they didn't eat, the things they did or things they didn't do. Also trying to judge them on things like festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths, Paul says. So what were those? Those were times of remembrance. Those were things that God had set aside for them. Some of these were just set aside by God. Some of these were things they picked up through the years of just celebration and times of remembering. But they would pick up things like a festival. It might be Passover to remember what God had done through Passover. The new moons would have symbolized things like every month there were times to remember. Here's what God has done for us. Here's the time that we set aside to remember. This is what God did. This is why we remember that. Sabbaths. We know what the Sabbaths were. After six days of creation, God said we're going to take the seventh day and we're going to rest. And he set that aside as a pattern for us to follow. 
So he set those times, those good times, good things to set aside to be able to remember who God is and what he has done for us. But what was happening was that the legalistic Jews, and this always happens within legalism and any kind of religion, you end up finding ways to take those good things that were there, and they end up becoming a way to judge those who are the righteous or the unrighteous. If you are righteous, you follow these things. You observe these things. You follow these things. If you're unrighteous, then we can judge you based on those things and exclude you. But what had happened for the legalistic Jews is that they had taken those good things that God had given them and they had stopped worshiping the one who gave them those things and started worshiping the things. The things had become the replacement for God. They had started getting wrapped up further or greater in the worship of the Sabbath than the one who was Lord of the Sabbath. And we see that in Mark chapter 2. So you can follow along or you can, you can look it up yourself or you can just listen. But Mark chapter 2, here's what's happening. Oh, there it is. Is it Mark 2? It should be Mark 2, but it's not. 23, there it is. It is Mark 2. I'm just looking in the wrong place because I don't have my glasses with me. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So here's the picture. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain fields. They could walk only up to seven miles on the Sabbath, so very specific even there. So they're walking through the fields. The disciples are hungry. They're just snacking as they go. It could be barley, could be wheat, don't know what it is, but they're picking grain. They are getting off the outside. They're getting that grain inside the edible part, and they're eating it. Well, that's breaking the law. They're harvesting wheat, and they're consuming it. So the Pharisees are looking at this and saying, why aren't they obeying the law? What's wrong with your disciples? Well, Jesus gets upset at this. Here they are, just walking through. They're just snacking, and they're taking a greater view of observing the Sabbath than than obeying the Lord of the Sabbath. And we don't have a chance to read everything, but here's what he says. He talks about David and how David, when he was being chased by Saul, he goes into the temple and the priest even gives him, him things to eat that was only supposed to have been for the priest. And yet David wasn't judged for that. And Jesus is making the point where he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's easy to take things and worship the things rather than the one who gave us those things. And Paul says here that these things, these new moons, these Sabbaths, these festivals, all of these law, all of that was a shadow of the things to come. But Christ in Christ is the substance, the things you can hold, the things you can taste, the things that you feel. It is found in Christ. When we let those things, those temporary things, guide us and distract us, then we can judge on things that are not eternal things and things that end up becoming a replacement for God when they were only ever meant to be a remembrance of who he was, just a shadow of things to come. But in Christ is the substance. If you belong to Christ, then he fulfilled the laws around each of these things. He fulfilled the laws, and he nailed those laws and the fulfillment of it to the cross when he was there on the cross when he was dying. And judgment can't be passed on you, can't be passed on the believer because of those things, those law, those old requirements anymore, because Christ fulfilled those on your behalf. 
You no longer have to fulfill those things because he fulfilled those things for you. You can't do it, but he did. No more judgment for the believer based on those old laws, those old structures, because Christ fulfilled that. He put that, those laws and requirements to death. So no more judgment because Christ fulfilled those requirements for you. Nobody can judge you anymore on that. But then how about being disqualified? So they couldn't judge them. So how about being disqualified? You aren't even fit to be here because you don't do thus and so. If you were a true believer, these things would be evident in your life. You would look like this, and this would be happening. So this is the other thing. They're judging them, but they're also trying to disqualify them because there's not the growth happening in their life or the things aren't visible in their life that they think should be there. And Paul brings out three things that these legalistic Jews or the structures that are trying to be put on them, three things that come out. The first is asceticism, then worship of angels, and then visions. So asceticism. What is asceticism? That is severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. So that can be a real good thing for us. It is good to avoid certain things. It's good for our bodies. It's good for um, just all of it. There's certain things that are just good to avoid. But what that goes to an extreme within certain religions. Could be Islam, uh, could be Buddhism, could be the Amish community. But we're really good at doing that even within Christianity. We come up with all kinds of rules and all kinds of laws that some of them are just, some of them are just silly things. Okay, thou shalt not park here. There's a silly illustration. But I used the example a couple of weeks ago of the churches that I grew up in, very Baptist churches, we did not dance. That was purely cultural. All through scripture, you see examples of people praising the Lord through dance. But when I was growing up, that was the thing. If you're a good Christian, you did not dance. Okay, so that was cultural, but that's what I grew up with. One of those silly laws, one of those silly things that at the end of the day, it's not found in scripture. It's not found there. It's just one of those laws we gave ourselves. You can fill in the blank with anything that you grew up with. No playing cards. Um, no playing drums. Sorry, Hannah. I grew up thinking that you couldn't play drums in church. Really early on, thankfully, and we did have a cool drum set. Um, electric, but not as cool as yours. All kinds of rules that we place on ourselves that are not found in Scripture, that are just these laws that we put there that we think are signs of spiritual growth, that I don't do these things. Look how holy and spiritual I am because I abstain from all of this. My dad grew up thinking that playing billiards was wrong. I don't know why, but that's what he was always told. You can't play that. That's, sinners do that. Silly rules that we place on ourselves. What is happening here, though, is these are supposed to be signs from the religious leaders, the legalistic Jews that are coming in trying to add uh, rituals and adding that legalism back into these young believers' lives. What they're doing is saying these should be signs of growth. You, should be, you shouldn't be doing these things. These should be excluded from your life because you'll be growing closer to the Lord if you're not doing these things. What it is is a, a form of thinly veiled pride. They're saying, I am growing. Look how holy and spiritual I am. I don't do these things. These things aren't a part of my life. That's not a form of growth. That's just pride. It's just pride that's thinly veiled. You can see straight through that, and you know what that is. And that, that fills too many churches. And I've heard some crazy horror stories of churches that were way, way legalistic on you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. If it's not found here clear-cut in Scripture, then all it is is a man-made structure. Anything that we should or should not do 
is clearly laid right here in Scripture. And it takes good godly leaders with wisdom to help us to understand things clearly, to know how to follow God's word faithfully and love the church around us. But asceticism, as it's laid out for us here in Colossians, it's just pride. It's not a sign of growth. It's just pride. How about worship of angels? So that one looks a little weird. What are we, what are we talking about with worship of angels? So Wearsby says this. He sees it this way. This is, again, a form of pride in that you're putting yourself down to a level of such degradation that you cannot possibly come into God's presence. So let's go to the angels and start there. So we, we, we don't feel like we're even uh, forgiven and holy enough to come into the presence of God. I'm a sinful man. I can't come into the presence of God, so I'm going to go to one of the angels. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to let them be my mediator, and then they can go to God for me. Well, that's nonsense, because as believers, we are forgiven. We are declared righteous. We are justified because we bear the righteousness of Christ. I think I have to stay right here or my microphone cuts out. We bear the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us, he doesn't see your sin and guilt. He doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of Christ that we wear He sees that, and we can boldly go into the presence of God, Hebrews tells us. I don't have to go through a mediator. If I have a mediator, it's Jesus Christ, and I bear his righteousness, and I am joint heirs with him. I can boldly go into the presence of God. I don't have to go through an angel. I don't have to worship an angel. This is just another form of pride. I am not holy enough to come to God. So I'm going to worship an angel. It's putting yourself forward saying, look how holy I am. Look how, um, how I am growing. I don't even presume to come into the presence of God. It's just another form of pride. So asceticism is pride. The worship of angel is pride. How about visions? So there's this last one. Does God still speak through visions and dreams? He absolutely still speaks through visions and dreams. If you want to hear some amazing stories of God speaking through visions and dreams, just read the stories of people who have come out of Islam, whether that was dreams that they had when they were back in the country that they came from, or it was dreams that they had while they were here. They'll talk about a dream or a vision of somebody coming to tell them about Jesus or Jesus himself coming to them. And then God bringing somebody into their life later on. Incredible stories. Does God work that way most often in the American church today? Not that I've been aware of. Most often, where is he speaking to us from? His word. Through his Holy Spirit. Working in us. Working through us to understand his word. Could he give you a vision or a dream? Absolutely. But the basis for that will always be found in his word. If you're getting a vision or a dream, you think this is from God, and it's not found somewhere, its basis is not here in Scripture, then I'm going to challenge that it wasn't ever from God in the first place. He will always agree with his word. He will never contradict himself. He will never contradict his word. But yes, he does still work through visions and dreams. But visions and dreams are never a sign that you, if you're receiving visions and dreams from God, it's not a sign that you are more spiritual or holy than somebody who's not receiving visions or dreams. Because God is the one who gives those. Yes, he can work that way. Most often, he's working through his word and the Holy Spirit that lives within you. But here's what's happening. Paul says it best. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. 
People who are saying, you need to have visions, you need to have, they just want to hear themselves speaking. This one's very clearly, it's just pride that's motivating them. They're saying, if you are a true follower of Jesus, if you are really growing in your faith, you're going to have this and this and this and this. You're going to have these things in your life. Then you'll be growing and clearly you'll have spiritual growth. But all it is is just pride. All of these things are just structures that are trying to be placed on these young believers, on this young church. That's just legalism. No one can disqualify you from your faith based on whether you do or do not observe these things because your salvation is not based on these things or the opinion of man. Your salvation is based on Christ and what he has done, not what you can do. You can't be judged by this world's structures anymore. You can't be disqualified by the opinions of man. It is found in Christ. Our salvation is determined by Christ and in Christ alone. But what we have to do is we have to be very, very careful to think about what we just want to slap a sticker on as legalism. We just want to stick that sticker on there. That's legalism. Just ignore that. Push that away. Not come back to that. When in reality, what it could be is that it could be a good spiritual discipline that we need to have in our lives. And that's where we've got to be very careful and have good wisdom and good discernment as we're looking at the things we do or we don't do or what somebody else is doing or not doing. And you can ask yourself this question. It's from Sarah Walton. She's a contributor to Desiring God. She says, Am I striving to live up to the law in my own strength in order to earn God's forgiveness and favor? Or am I striving in the strength of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of growing up in Christ and reflecting more of him? So good questions to ask yourself. Is the thing that I'm doing me trying to earn some sort of favor with God or with his people? Or is this me striving with all that I'm worth to reflect him more, to reflect him greater? If that's your question, if that's what you're processing through your mind, then there's a good chance you're going to see through that thin veil of legalism and see what it is and see what's just good spiritual discipline and what's legalism. One good example is how much time we spend in God's word. I think that all of us should be spending time in God's word every single day. If we are abiding in him, we're letting his words flow in us and through us. We're letting ourselves have the mind of Christ, letting his word fill us so that we can bear fruit like that branch that is connected to the vine. But it's his life. He's bearing the fruit. We are simply abiding. But nowhere in here does it tell me how I am supposed to do that as a dad with three little girls running around. It just tells me I need to abide in him. That's where we cross that line from being good spiritual discipline into legalism, where I start to say, you must do it in the morning before 6 a.m., and you have to have a cup of coffee with you in order to process this properly. There's legalism. And I've been guilty of this as we've had students, where I've seen students that I didn't think were spending enough time in their word. I judged them on that. I thought they should have spent more time reading God's word than what they were doing. And sometimes they were doing things they probably shouldn't have been doing with that time. That's beside the point. I've been judged on the other side of that, too, where I've been judged. Somebody looked at me and said, how are your devotions this morning? I said, I haven't done them yet this morning because I, I couldn't do them in the morning. I had to do it in the evening. So it's gone both ways for me. I've judged people and been judged by people. The point is, is that we need to be in God's word. That's just a good spiritual discipline. But we need to watch and be careful to find out, am I doing this to earn favor with God or with man? Or am I doing this to better reflect him? So be careful of that. Watch out for legalism. We have to watch for those things. 
But we also need to have those good spiritual disciplines because all growth comes from God. All of these things that were there, what they were being judged on, they were things that were supposed to have been showing growth in their lives. The things you abstain from, the things you do, the things you don't do, the things you observe, the things you don't observe, those things could have shown growth or spiritual maturity in their lives. But there wasn't growth and there wasn't spiritual maturity in those lives because they were not holding fast to the head. The head is Christ. He is the head of the church, the head of his body. They were not holding fast to Christ. And it is only in Christ that true spiritual growth is found. Nowhere else. In the same way that our bodies operate properly, when our brain is operating properly, when everything's functioning as it should, it is telling the body how things should work and how it should grow, how to process the nutrients, all that is happening in our bodies. When our brain is working right, we see growth. When it's not operating right, that's when we see things not working well. If we're connected to Christ, who is the head, that's always going to be on target. That's always going to be good. And our job is that we need to stay connected to the head. We need to abide in him. That is the only place where spiritual growth is found. Not in these structures, not in man-made religion, not in man-made rules to follow, but in Christ. And if it's a good spiritual discipline, we're going to find it here as well. We are to stay connected to the head, connected to him. There's no judgment. There's no disqualification for the believer. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. Here's your, here's your homework. So I always give you homework. Romans 8 is your homework. We're only going to read a few of these verses, but 1 and 2 say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. Oh, I'm going too far. We're going to hang on to that for later. Again, I don't have my glasses with me. This is the first Sunday where I've really needed my glasses and I forgot them. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Because he did what the law couldn't do. He set us free from the law of sin and death. He did that. We are fully associated with him, baptized into him. And we get the benefit of everything that comes along with that sacrifice. We're no longer bound by the things of this world. We're no longer judged by the structures of this world because we are found in him. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. We can't be judged by that anymore. We can't be disqualified by that anymore. We're not bound by the things of this world, even the well-placed things, well-meaning things of this world that are misplaced. We're not bound by those anymore. We can't be judged. And we also shouldn't listen to our bodies. We shouldn't listen to our body because we have this old body of flesh that always wants to draw us back into what we had come out of. Uh, One of my favorite cyclists growing up, some of you know I'm a cyclist, so I love riding my bike. Um, One of my favorite cyclists growing up was Jens Voigt. Jens Voigt was a German cyclist, and he was one of my favorites because he was a really, really hard worker. He was what they would call a domestique. So if you had a team and you're riding for your team leader, The domestiques were the guys who just worked like crazy to get their team leader to the end, did everything they could. They didn't always win races, but they were just really, really hard workers. And sometimes Jens Voigt would win races. Uh, Sometimes he was just working really, really hard for his team leader. And I was riding even yesterday, and we'd have different points where the ride was really hard. 
And all you're doing is putting your head down, pedaling as hard as you can, trying to stick to that wheel in front of you. And sometimes you get to talk to yourself to motivate yourself to keep going. And Jens Voigt had a thing that he stuck on the top tube of his bike. It said, shut up, legs. Because sometimes you gotta, you got to tell that to yourself. Sometimes it's in your head. Sometimes you say it out loud. But you got to push yourself through the pain. you got to be a little bit crazy to be a professional cyclist because there's a lot of pain involved. you got to not listen to your body. You gotta just keep going. And sometimes you gotta tell yourself, just stop it. Don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to your body. Keep going. Same thing for the believers. Because your body, your flesh, is always gonna wanna drag you back into what you came out of. We still deal with sin in this world. Yes, we've been justified. Yes, we're being sanctified. But our flesh always wants to drag us back. And we have to not listen to our body. We have to not go back to that place. So here's what Paul says in 20 through 23. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We always want to go back to where we were. But here's the reality for the believer. We're dead. Our flesh is dead. We don't live in that anymore. We don't have to be bound by those unspiritual and clearly sinful things, but neither are we bound by those things that are spiritual but singularly unhelpful things. We're not bound by those things anymore. That's not you. That's not the reality that you have because you are dead. So why, Paul is asking, would you let yourself go back into that world structure that says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And the idea behind these words is that you're taking ownership of these things. You're making these things your own. But he says, why would you apply, uh, let those things guide you, let these rules shape you, when even the things that these are based around, he says, are things that perish as you use them. They're not eternal things. Why would you let these things that are not eternal and a structure that is purely man-made guide you and direct you? You're dead. Why would you live as if you were alive in this world anymore? They don't last. At their core, they are just based on human precepts and teachings. And we already saw in chapter 2, you got to watch out for those things. Only what is found in Christ will last. And only what's found in Christ is going to bring that spiritual growth that we're looking for. Real quick, we're going to look at Matthew 15, 1 through 20. And this is another one that you can do for homework because we can't read the whole thing. But in Matthew 15, Jesus gets talking about the traditions and commandments of man. Here's what's happening. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay, so we don't have a chance to go through all of this. We'll take, jump to a couple of verses here in just a minute. But what they're doing is they're judging the disciples and Jesus then on what his disciples are not doing. They're not washing their hands before they're eating. This was a tradition of the elders. They were supposed to follow these. As good Jews, they were supposed to follow all those laws. 
So you need to be following these. Why don't your disciples do this? Well, Jesus goes on to explain that in them trying to create these rules and these traditions to draw closer to God, they've created for themselves rules and traditions that actually are are being unfaithful to God and leading people into sin. Because he talks about when you dedicate things to God, things that should have been used to care for your family, what you're doing is you're no longer caring for your family. You're making yourself look prideful and extra holy, putting yourself up here saying, I've dedicated these things to God. I no longer have to give them to my family or take care of my parents because I've put these things up here for God. Those are his. But you've neglected to do what God has called you to do and what he has told you to do. So he says in verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. That's all they were doing. They had taken the, the commandments of man and they were teaching them as doctrines that they should be following. So what are these legalistic Jews, these religious leaders that are coming in, what are they trying to achieve? Some of them are trying to just draw these believers away. Perhaps some of them are trying to find true spiritual growth. They're trying to find the right way to live, but they're looking in the wrong place. They're never going to find what they're looking for as long as this is their structure, as long as this is at their heart. They're always going to be striving after the wind. They're always going to be going after something they can never achieve because it's based on man's commandments and man's laws not on Christ. Martin Luther had that same problem as a monk. He was a very devout monk. He's the father of the Reformation. Eventually, God uh, worked in his heart, and he saw scripture clearly. But as a monk, he would strive and strive and strive to do what is right, to do what he could to obey, to follow the Lord, to do everything possible, to be a good monk. But confession was always a part of what they did as monks. And most monks would go in and talk to the priest and, you know, be a couple of minutes. You know, Father, forgive me, I, I ate too much of breakfast. Or, you know, I woke up after my nap and was really grumpy. Something like that. But here is Martin Luther, and the stories go that he would go into confession and be there for hours and hours and hours confessing things that he knew he did wrong and things he thought he did wrong and things he might do wrong later and would drive those priests crazy because they're saying, Martin, you're a good monk. What do you have to confess? But he knew there was something else wrong. That structure that he had put on his life, that others had put on his life, could never achieve what he was hoping to achieve. We see that in people, uh, great religious leaders and people that are great spiritual people. But they have a man-made structure. They have a man-made system that they're trying to achieve something that it was never intended to and never could because the problem resides within us. We are uh, depraved to the core. We have guilty hearts. Our sin is within us. It doesn't matter what structure we put on the outside. We can never get rid of the problem that resides within us. And here in Matthew, again, we're going to go back to what Jesus says, even though we can't read the whole thing. Verse 10 of chapter 15 of Matthew. He says, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So it's not the structure you set for yourself that's going to keep you holy. It's what comes out of you, sin. And that's where the depravity is found. 
So then they ask him, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does that mean? And he goes on and explains in verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What you are trying to escape from resides within you, and no man-made structure is going to relieve you of that. It can only be found in Christ. Your flesh is always going to seek to justify yourself. Your old muscle memory, what your body's going to want you to do is to always go back to some structure, something that you can do to earn your salvation to earn your righteousness, to take care of that problem that you know is there, that Martin Luther knew was there, but he couldn't get rid of. Our flesh is always going to want to drag us back to that. We're always going to want to find a way on our own to get rid of that problem, but we can't. As believers, we have to remember to not listen to our bodies. We don't belong to this world anymore, and we know that I can never do anything to solve this problem by myself. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He fulfilled the law. We're not bound to the law of sin and death anymore. Here's what Romans 8, 3 through 4 say. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are not bound by this flesh anymore. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. If I listen to my flesh, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall right back into those old bad habits, that old muscle memory that wants to drag me back into legalistic structures that I attempt to achieve my righteousness, my own salvation. I can't listen to my body. I don't live by the flesh anymore. I live by the spirit. And my growth, my spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, is found in what Christ did not what we can do. It is found in him. There's no structure that we can put on our lives that will earn our salvation. He did that. He fulfilled the law. We get to receive the benefit from that. But we have to remember that. That's our new muscle memory. We have to remember those good habits, those good things that he has set for us. Let that permeate our hearts and our minds and then come out in the way that we live our lives. That's the new reality for us. So Irv taught me to play golf a couple of weeks ago. So just before I went on vacation, um, I had I'd run into him at times as I was riding my bike or driving home from work. We got a golf course up the top of our hill, uh, just the other end of our road. And I had told him at one point, hey, I'd love to play golf with you. Uh, so he said, yeah, sure, sometime we'll go play golf. So a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, he said, hey, let's go play golf on Thursday. So I said, that's great. He said, you got your clubs? I don't have any clubs. Um, I said, I've actually never really played golf um, except for mini golf. I'm pretty good at mini golf. Um, I used to whack the ball around in the backyard with my brother and try to avoid people's windows and cars and stuff like that. Um, I used to play golf on rainy days in the different churches where my dad would pastor. So 
Now everybody on Facebook knows that. Um, there are divots in the carpet in different churches around New England and New York. Um, so that doesn't count, though. That's not really playing golf. So when I told him that, he was a little bit taken aback, but he still uh, took, it, took it upon himself to teach me to play golf. So I went up there. Uh, to the golf course. I met him there. He had a club for me, and he started to teach me. And Irv is really good at golf. I don't know if you know just how good Irv is at golf, <laughs> but he's really good at golf. So there we are. We're playing out there, and he's teaching me. Here's what I need to do to swing. Here's what I should be thinking. Here's what i got to concentrate on. And I'm not going to do it now, because he'll probably tell me you're still using your hands. So I had to concentrate, and it took 18 holes of him saying, okay, so you got to do this, and you need to remember that, and just do a half swing. And it took practice and practice and practice, and I had a lot of practice. It was only 18 holes, but when it's a par four, and I'm getting the ball in the hole at, I don't know, nine or 10 strokes, you know, I've got a lot of practice then at that point for what my muscles are supposed to be doing to get that ball to go where it's supposed to go. And just about every fourth hole or so, I'd do okay, it'd be a good hole. It might be a par five and I'd get it in seven or eight. That's not too bad. But I'm just trying to remember what he told me, trying to let my muscles remember what they're supposed to do. So finally we get to the last hole. And I'm remembering everything he told me. Eventually he said, I'm just gonna stop telling you what to do because sometimes I'd have some good holes and it'd look like, hey, it's sinking in. And then sometimes it's, you know, okay. So last hole, I get up there, I'm trying to remember what he said to do, just letting my muscles remember. Got up there to the hole getting ready to hit the ball onto the green. Gave a little half swing like he told me, and it was beautiful. Great shot right out in the middle, right where it needed to be to set up for the next shot. So he took his turn and walked up there, got to the ball. Same thing, just remembered what he told me to do. Let my muscles remember what they needed to do. Put the ball right up there, bounced a few feet from the green, rolled onto the green just a few feet from the hole. Perfect. It was a par four. So here I am, I come up to putt, remembering everything he told me, letting my muscles remember what they're supposed to do. I putt that ball, it went right to the cup, and there, three, three would have been a birdie. It bounced just off the edge, so just missed it, but I tapped it in for a par. It's because I remembered what he told me. He's really good at golf. He is a, I doctored this up just a little bit so the cup was a little shinier. <laughs> But he did a good job teaching me. But I had to remember what he told me. I had to let my muscles remember what they were supposed to do. As believers, we have to remember what he's told us. We have to remember that new muscle memory. We don't belong to the old things of the world anymore. That's not us. That's not the reality for us. We can't be judged on that. We can't be disqualified because of that. Because we are dead. We have a new life that is found in him. We can't listen to our body of flesh that wants to draw us back into the old ways of doing things. We walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And all our growth is found in what He did, not in what we can do for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. I thank You that it's Your work that You do. We don't have to strive for that growth. We don't have to fight for that growth. We just have to stay connected in You. Sometimes we see that growth quick. Sometimes we see that growth coming slowly. But Lord, you do that work, you bring the growth, and we can trust you to do that because you say it and you will do it. So Father, I pray that we wouldn't fall back into those old habits of what we used to do before, those things that are just unhelpful. They're not going to lead to growth. They're just going to drag us back into where we've been taken from and not where you want to take us. So Father, I pray we can remember your word as we go through our